Hey everyone, Mary Ashley here. So uh, before we get into this interview with Amanda Vernon, I want to alert all our SoCal listeners to a retreat that she and Father Matt are going to be giving in LA. It's going to be Saturday, August 17th from 10 to 2. I'll be there. I'm super excited about it uh, because they're going to be talking about their story, but not only their story. It's also going to be about God's love in saints' lives and then God's love in all of our lives. And then you'll be able to talk to them, get to know them. Uh, They're going to sign their books and then there'll be maybe some other cool surprises. I don't know. But anyway, it's totally free, includes lunch. It's at Family Theater where I work. So I want to encourage everybody to go to the Facebook page that I'll put in the links to get a ticket because even though it's free, uh, we have limited capacity and I don't want anyone to miss out. And yeah, come hang out with us. It's going to be, I think, a really awesome time. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara Sands. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. Welcome to another episode of the Fishers of Men podcast. I'm Mary Ashley Burton, and today I'm super excited for this conversation. I'm talking with Amanda Vernon, and she's the co-author of the book, When God Wrecks Your Romance. Hi, Amanda. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? (laughs) Doing great. I have a pretty quiet house at the moment. Wonder of wonders. So... (laughs) Just enjoying it, soaking it up. <laughs> Must be pretty rare for you because you have four <laughs> young kids, yes. right? To wait till the late hours of the evening. So really, really glad to be talking with you. And I'm just excited about like the description of your podcast because I feel like it couldn't be more perfect for what's on my heart to share. Yeah. I actually uh, so somehow I got connected to you on Facebook and I honestly don't even know how, but, um, probably, um, I'm thinking it's like Catholic creatives. Yeah. That's at least that's how I recall, like coming across your name and kind of connecting with you. Yeah. I, I mean, that makes total sense. Um, but I started like, after we got connected, I started sort of, looking into you and your book and stuff. And I had been thinking for weeks, like, oh my gosh, I would really like to talk to her and have (laughs) her on because it is like the best fit. Um, And uh, so far we haven't had anyone on with a story like yours. And I've been wanting to do that for like three years. And then you posted on Facebook, like, are there any podcasts that have to do with (laughs) religion and relationships? (laughs) (laughs) With like relationships in your walk with Jesus like if I were to phrase it that way if I had thought of that I yeah. would have just said that <laughs> yeah and I'm like that's exactly my podcast <laughs> 
So I'm so happy. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, okay. So would you like to give us a very brief synopsis without giving too much away about sure, I, we were laughing we started this call because you're like i don't want to give too much away and i'm like i'm holding a copy of my book when god works your romance orthodox faith unorthodox story and like there's me and the front cover holding a microphone i'm in like high heels and like dressed up and then there's father matt face like in his habit yeah (laughs) like the ending is kind of already apparent just on the front cover (laughs) okay but (laughs) okay so all right all right so it's it it is a co-authored memoir i can tell you that and um the way we describe it it's a co-authored memoir written by a newly ordained priest and a young married mother of four children that's me and we we take turns sharing our side each of our perspective of our story and so we try to take sort of a cinematic look back at the journey that we've been on and i'm really excited about how we were able to give our readers an insight into like our individual experiences and yet we've created a project that's really uniquely shared between us yeah definitely i actually really really loved the format um because i guess so i guess spoiler alert you two had a uh, romance which is also in the title of the book so it's not that much of a spoiler (laughs) (laughs) surprise yeah (laughs) um so like throughout your like starting in your sort of middle school years and then going all the way into like high school and college and I really loved though how you all took some of the same moments and we got to see how you two had just completely different points of view or thinking or understanding of what was going on or you know mm-hmm. where you were coming from that made you react a certain way and I think that's just so helpful <laughs> to understand the dynamic because often you just hear one person's perspective and there's something that's kind of always lacking, mm-hmm. you know? Right. You know, my, my dad's a psychologist and he's actually, he, he works in schools, but so he's a school psychologist, but he also does marriage counseling and he would always say, like, I just remember growing up hearing him say there's always two sides to every story. Because mm. very many times my dad would hear from one person saying, you know what? This issue is happening in my marriage. And you know, they'd yeah. be upset and need to talk to the psychologist. Um, and he would listen, but he'd listen realizing there's somebody else who has a different perspective on this same story. <laughs> yeah. And so actually it hasn't been really until we're talking in this moment that I really realize that I'm realizing that like my dad's insight into relationships um probably had a lot to do with the way that we ended up um, approaching this book and like my own interest in hearing the other side of the story. Wow, that's so awesome. 
Um, and I really want to applaud your openness to, and uh, Father Matt's openness too, to hearing the other side of the story, because I thought that was a really mm. also mature move because some of the things required a lot of vulnerability and, mm. um, you know, you definitely kind of lay your hearts out on the page mm. for everyone. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I think that, that as you described it, maturity that it took for us to write it. Um, I'm, it really was a grace because I did not come into this project thinking at all this book would look like this or sound like this or be like this. Like I really thought it was going to be like a vocations book. Mm -hmm. And I was going to write about getting married and then Matt, Father Matt is going to write about becoming a priest. And it's like cute and like kind of serendipitous that we used to know each other as kids. <laughs> <laughs> so like, every, like conveniently know. leaving out the heartbreak. <laughs> Just, you know, I mean, and we might have had our hearts broken at one time. We've moved on, right? <laughs> like... <laughs> side note <laughs> just um and and actually there was i remember distinctly there was a moment when i was speaking with father matt over the phone and i i remember just kind of expressing my frustration like we we don't have a story we we don't have a shared story we just happen to be sharing our separate stories at the same time like i'm writing about David. Who's <laughs> so your and husband? Who's my husband and and you know my favorite subject. And um and Father Matt was kind of quiet and he's and then he he just said, Well, I'm not I'm not writing that story with you. Oh. <laughs> and I remember thinking, but he he encouraged me and was like, that is a beautiful story. And maybe and he and, and he was really he was, I I think, very mature and very open about it during the writing process to say, maybe God is calling you to write that story. Maybe, maybe it'd be better for you to write specifically your story about David and getting married. And and we really brought that to prayer and I and I talked to my husband about it and everything but it just felt like as we were trying to be really open to to the movement of the holy spirit that it was indeed the lord calling us to share our story which i didn't even really think existed to to really um sort of dig deep into our hearts and excavate those memories um, to the point where we could really share about the friendship that God has given us. Wow. So you, so your husband was definitely heavily involved in, like, I don't want to say, did you ask him permission? Because that sounds a little bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, Father Matt's the one who took the vow of obedience. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to impose ideas about what your marriage is like. <laughs> try to um, try to live out the virtue of obedience also to the Lord and certainly through, through but my I marriage. But I try to live it. And I, I, I found that I do. at various points of like pursuing this writing project of, of the book, 
that my husband David was was not only supportive, but he believed in it more than I did at many, at many points. I mean, there would be times when I'm like, just fed up because I mean, I, I wrote for two and a half years. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, the, the stories and memories that we cover really emotionally charged. And it took, it took a lot of, just like psychological work to even get there and spiritual work. Yeah. So there would be times when I just was ready to to quit the project, to, to say this is not gonna work. I'm I'm over it. And my husband would just cheer me up and say, like, no, you I think you need to keep going. We agreed to do this. It's gonna be great. You're gonna love it. <laughs> keep keep pressing on. Don't don't Stop talking to Father Matt forever. I think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Keep talking to him. Okay, fine. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I wanna I wanna say most of the time writing this book was a joy and I laughed for the majority of the project. <laughs> um but during those times when I questioned whether to keep going my husband was always a support and always encouraged me to see this project through to the end oh that's super awesome and encouraging to hear though uh, and i think that's what everybody mm-hmm. wants in a spouse <laughs> um mm-hmm. and father matt i'm just so curious because i work so he's a holy cross priest and because i work for a Holy Cross organization, family theater. I know approval yeah. is not always the easiest thing to get. So I'm just curious, like, <laughs> did he have to ask permission from his superiors to write his story? He definitely, yeah. And again, going back to the vow of obedience, because because this book is not, you know, a direct offshoot of of Father Matt's like current ministry then he did need to seek out permission explicitly from his provincial mm. to be able to, you know, to be so so public with his story, to be representing Holy Cross in this in this manner. But then also he he sought out guidance from his spiritual director and and fellow, I was gonna say CSCs, um congregation of Holy Cross, mm. fellow um, priests within his order, and it was something similar to to David's response by and large, oh. where it seemed like his community was almost more enthusiastic about the project sometimes than Father Matt was himself, and I felt like that was really a consolation. Um, it seemed to be for Father Matt, and it definitely was for me to know that he wasn't like forcing this through or kind of begging them to let it happen or, yeah. or, or, or trying to game it at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was or just like, like writing it in secret they... in hopes that they'll approve it. Oh, no, <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. No, yeah, because I mean, I don't, for, for everything that I know about Father Matt, he, he wouldn't, I can't picture him even being like peaceful 
with that at all. (laughs) And, uh, you know, with anything that would be like a point of animosity between him and and his congregation um, to any extent. And so the fact that his spiritual director is like, Matt, you have to write this book. Or you know, there are other people in his congregation that just said like this. What do they say? Um, this story is something like soaking with Holy Cross spirituality. <laughs> and man, it was just that just felt like really like consolation from the Holy Spirit directly through Father Matt's congregation. Yeah, no, that's really awesome. And I really did appreciate how honest he was um and like i said you know i really admire the vulnerability of both of you all but it's also like really Mm -hmm. rare especially to hear a priest talking so openly about the past and his journey and his struggles and so Mm -hmm. it made me really proud of holy cross (laughs) 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 that they're they're willing to have these like hard conversations and be really authentic and real and not shy away from some of these really hard discussions well that's really cool for me to hear from your perspective is especially since uh, since you you work for a holy cross organization so you know their spirituality really well you know them personally Mm -hmm. and it kind of reminds me of this young newly ordained father brian williams hi father brian i'll tell him this <laughs> um but he <laughs> when when he was a, a deacon still he was just speaking so enthusiastically with me about the book and it was just when we were about to publish it and go to print and he's like you know i found out about this about this book and i I looked into it and I just thought, of course, this would come out of Holy Cross. Of course it would. Because he he was just saying, like, it fits everything that they taught us in seminary about chastity and about relationships and that, like, love is meant to be experienced and shared. And intimacy is not only for marriage, but intimacy is something that every person is called to in a way that is holy and uplifting and fitting to their, you know, their vocation. So obviously I'm like, <laughs> but that's the, that's what I recall <laughs> of our conversation and it was just so endearing like my heart is really full hearing from you Mary Ashley about that and then also thinking back on you know some of the younger Holy Cross guys who who seems to be reiterating a similar sentiment that that this isn't just an isolated story that Father Matt has stepped forward to share but it's a product of the spirituality of Holy Cross yeah well yeah I mean I think I, I don't know that I could necessarily summarize the spirituality of Holy Cross, even though I've been working at family theater for a while. <laughs> I have so many thoughts about that, but okay. <laughs> I, I think, I think actually that Holy Cross is, um, they shy away from self-promotion a lot of the times, which sounds funny because they're very prominent in many ways like the university of notre dame like everybody knows that the university of notre dame is and well most people a lot of people think it's a jesuit school (laughs) but just for the record okay (laughs) it's not well i should uh, that's i guess that's what i mean okay everybody's heard of the university of notre dame that's that's what i'm trying to say yeah but not everybody knows who's behind it totally yes 
Yeah. And I think that's very much what I see in Holy Cross. Like they do so many wonderful, awesome things, but then they're moving on to the next good work rather than standing there like patting themselves on the back or saying like, hey, hey, like let's recognize who is behind yeah. this. And so I think um, sometimes it takes people from outside of the order to like wave our hand in the air and say like, hey, can we stop and like recognize <laughs> the blessings that are coming, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, through through this order. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful to be one of those voices. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I think that's, Definitely true. Um, and that's even popped up sometimes working at a media organization. But mm-hmm. I guess I would add to that. Um, my experience with Holy Cross is that generally um, the priests and seminarians I've met are also very pastorally focused. Like they, they are really well trained in theology, but for the most part, their concerns mm-hmm. are more like who who is the listener and like, who am I speaking to and what's going on with them and how do we talk to them um, in a way Mm -hmm. that will be best for them that they can like receive whatever we're saying. And, um, and so that's sort of an aspect that I really picked up in your book that you all try to, Mm -hmm. you are just really real. Like you try to explain everything in really real language. And like, I don't doubt that you're coming from a really authentic place at all. Okay, so <laughs> so getting more into the meat of what your book is about. Um, <laughs> uh, so obviously we know he's a priest now, and you talk in the book about not wanting to be that girl, which I think like every Catholic woman will just automatically know what that means. Like no one wants to be that girl, which is like the temptress or, you know, the woman (laughs) oh we have names for that right besides that girl what else do we oh yeah or what's Um, the uh, there's one that's like a chaser or was it oh yeah what is it you know actually we came up with the list father matt and i but it didn't make it into the book we just went with i didn't want to be that girl but yeah so like it seems to me that it's like <laughs> among most Catholic women, I know it's a pretty universal experience. Like at least once in your life, mm. you're interested in a guy who he like, it's so funny because it happened to me that like I was connecting with this guy and he <laughs> asked me to dinner and we were walking to a restaurant. He was like, yeah, I'm in seminary. And I, it literally I could hear the like womp womp in my head. Like it was like sad trombone. Just like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it was like, my smile just faded um (laughs) so anyway now you tell me after i'm dressed up after i'm walking around going to the restaurant oh oh, that's so great for you um so great for god friend Uh, but anyway like despite a lot of catholic women i know having that experience like why do you think this isn't a story that we hear more often. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I think it's hilarious. <laughs> so I'd be happy if we spark a genre. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? For sure. <laughs> like, I'm just thinking of other, like, high-profile priests. I don't know what I want to, like, call any names. Or, like, Father Mike Schmitz. <laughs> I don't know. You know, anybody like Bishop Barron. Um, you know, so, like... Every every priest 
I know and have had the opportunity to talk with, like they've had relationships in their life before they became a priest. And I don't even mean like specifically uh, romantic relationships, but every person has relationships. And sometimes I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like, on the one hand, on a, from a cynical lens, maybe it's just clericalism, you know, yeah. like it's hard for the people of God to imagine their priest as a young guy, like not ordained um, or just to think of him as a mm-hmm. man with emotions and attractions. And it might be hard for the priests, too. Yeah, not ju- it's not just to put it only on the laity, but yeah, like maybe also it's it's it would be hard for a priest to like reconcile his position of leadership and his pastoral ministry with kind of sharing about his past. And I've certainly heard that from priests or heard about priests who say like I don't talk about my past. That's not my place. That's not what my priesthood is about. But like I think from a more <laughs> from a more positive viewpoint, I really like to believe that the reason that we haven't heard this story told publicly is just because it's so sensitive and it's yeah. and it has so much to do with like matters of the heart that it's it's almost I don't know. It's almost like too, I don't want to say precious because I was like, I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) (laughs) But it's too tender, okay? It's almost too tender to just be like sharing and like talking about out in the open. What are are your thoughts? Does does any of that resonate? Yeah. Yeah. That that rings true for me. And I think also anytime anybody talks about relationships, well, first of all, not that many people talk publicly about them anyway. So it's not Sure. Like how many adult men just in general are like, so about my ex-girlfriends, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> there there aren't that many. And I think too, it just requires a lot of, like I said, maturity and vulnerability to admit like you were wrong, admit that maybe your vocation story isn't like sunshine and rainbows and there were some broken hearts mm-hmm. along the way, but in the end, it's okay. I think even a lot of Catholics mm-hmm. too shy away from talking a lot about heartbreak. And that's one thing that I really love about your book is that you're able to sort of place heartbreak in a greater narrative and find something better Mm -hmm. about it and like find a meaning in it Mm -hmm. in terms of your story with God. Because Uh, I don't know what I hear from a lot of Catholics is it's just like, oh, that's like the absolute worst is, you know, breaking up with someone and okay you're saying so many <laughs> great things okay um okay 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 can we definitely talk about what you just said about um you know like what you hear from a lot of catholic speakers is like breaking yeah. up is the worst can we for hang sure. on to that for a second because i i also thought about you know two of the most important men in my life of course my husband david but also my dad and how it's really because of their love for me in, in the particular way in which they love me that I was able to, to share this story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, first of all, for my husband, David, to be, as, as I shared with you, so encouraging 
of this witness. Um, I, I really think that that is rare. Mm-hmm. That it, I mean, it, the kind of humility that it calls for from him to hear his wife <laughs> talking about her her past in like in such great detail, and it's not just like a clean break from the past in the sense that like I never see this person no he's the same person I'm writing the book with he's the same person who's now part of our family as our daughter's godfather and like my closest friend outside of my marriage so like I think that's probably really rare to find that kind of like humility and acceptance um because I think it's really a gift and a grace um, but then also, like, my my dad, he raised me with Black Catholic spirituality. And there's not, like, a ton of Black Catholics <laughs> in the United States. Like, it's kind of really niche. And so I I think that my my spirituality was, was also formed on these spiritual songs, like these gospel songs that are songs of triumph mm. and freedom and mm. joy. In the midst of slavery and struggle and really the cross. And, and that's what I would say is it, it matches really well with Holy Cross spirituality. Because I would say Holy Cross spirituality is summed up in their motto, like hail the cross, our only hope. And it's it's in that matches with with how I was raised as a Catholic to know it's it's through the struggle, it's through the struggle that we find our freedom, that we find our hope. And so the fact that I can speak so openly about heartache is, is because, <laughs> because that's, I mean, that's how I was raised to, to know the Lord. That's so powerful. And I love that you're bringing that perspective And yeah, I think that's one that definitely a lot of people will be able to benefit from because I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like if we all were able to adopt that perspective a little bit more, we wouldn't be running around so fearful in our lives, Mm -hmm. you know, because Mm -hmm. if you are not afraid of facing struggle and know that it might even benefit you in the end to bring you closer to God, then you are not going to be afraid of taking risks and, yeah, you know, doing the scary thing. And yeah, it's very, it's very freeing. Absolutely. And one thing you said in the book uh, that I really love this line is that Matt broke your heart in the best way possible. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And so I just kind of wanted to ask, uh, from your perspective, like, can you share any advice about getting over that heartbreak or unrequited love, um, especially mm-hmm. when you're absolutely convinced that this person would be the no- number one, 100% most perfect person for you? And everything looks great on paper, but it's just not working out in real life. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny because it's so heart-wrenching, but I have the biggest smile <laughs> on my face right now. And and I really believe those words that broke my heart in the best way possible. And, you know, I was actually speaking with another priest about this the other day. I 
I handed him a copy of my book and he was just staring at it, like kind of shaking his head. And he had a little smile on his face. too. He's like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> and so as he, he then kind of opened his heart a little and shared just a bit about his story, he said, you know, I was in a relationship <laughs> before seminary and he he described something similar, like this realization between his girlfriends and himself that that God was likely calling him to be a priest. And he said that she seemed so peaceful about it. And he kind of was like almost a little offended. He's like, hey, come on. You could just put up a fight or something. Like, come on, it's like you versus you versus God, you know? Don't I mean more to you? And but it's 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 you know preposterous for him to say that, but it's, so it's hilarious. But but I said to him, like, what a beautiful heartbreak that is, because it's the heartbreak of of God's will. Like, what a grace. And he just kind of nodded and we had this understanding. And and so I would say to anyone who's in that moment, like, as you said, I mean, it just, it's just difficult to, to look at it all on paper and say, everything lines up, this would be perfect. And yet it's not happening for some reason. Um, it's, it's in hindsight that I can look back with a smile. It's in hindsight that that priest can tell me about this girl who he was dating and he can laugh a full, you know, belly laugh and say, ah, well, God's will, and be so joyful. But I'm telling you, in the moment, it's not funny. Yeah. You know, like, it hurts. And so I just encourage anyone who's in the midst of that heartache to remember that this is not the end of the story and that that regardless of of whose fault it is or who's missing the memo or how you, how you think you might be somehow off of the path that God is calling you to be on that that when you're seeking after the Lord with your whole heart like you you cannot be removed from where God mm. wants to bring you yeah and i mean sometimes just by default, that's going to include some pretty big disappointments, <laughs> you know, because we mm. all have our attachments, mm -hmm. like everybody has their ideas of what they think is best for them. And then often that's totally not what's best for us at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And I, I, was, I was hoping you could go back a little bit, Mary Ashley, to, to what you were saying. I'd love to hear more about, you said like, what you hear from speakers a lot of the times is sort of like that heartbreak, especially of a breakup in a relationship mm -hmm. is like the worst, like to be avoided, right? At all costs. Like, yeah. could you tell me a little more about how, how that message kind of reaches you or, or what that sounds like when you hear that? Yeah. I mean, the way that I've kind of heard it and seen it play out is, especially in real life in the dating world is a lot of Catholics are like so, so scared to even go on a date or make any kind of move or express interest or 
anything like that because they're thinking like 15,000 steps ahead and they're like, oh, but what if we break up and then mm-hmm. like everybody at church will have to choose sides mm-hmm. or whatever. I'll never be able to go to that mass again. And, um, you know, or, or like, and also the message of like guarding your heart, I think has been a little bit oh, misinterpreted in a way. Yeah. Um, of like, oh, like this is kind of our duty to basically not feel anything until we meet the person that we're going to marry. And mm. I don't really like mm. that because I think we're just th- throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind of in terms of the developmental yeah. process that happens when you're dating. Because like you can yeah. even see it in your book, like because especially because we meet you all at different points in your lives. like the mm-hmm. way that you're developing just as humans and like learning how to relate to each other and like the things that are going on in your minds, like, it, I don't know. It, it's really vital to have that experience mm-hmm. with the opposite sex and get to know yourself and, you know, get to know other people and be open because that's the only way that in the end we're going to be able to love mm-hmm. at all. Or even, you know, the, the interpretation of chastity. Yeah. Um, as mm-hmm. I really like the idea of chastity as more of an active verb of like actively loving someone, but according to like their respective place in your life and just like loving them with a mm-hmm. proper mm-hmm. love rather than like holding back. And But I think a lot of times chastity gets sort of misinterpreted as a holding back of love. Ah, yes. I like, I like that distinction. Um, a holding back of love versus, um, like, because versus self-restraint, right? Because like, okay, what are you restraining? And if it is love that I, I want to say that's, (laughs) if you're restraining love, that's not, chastity am i being heretical no i think that's true i because like we can't we can't restrain love because god is love and love knows no bounds love is what did jp2 say um love is endlessly inventive Mm. and so i've seen that chastity is is has sometimes been held out as the goal like try really hard to be chaste Mm -hmm. and and i love to think of chastity as a means to an end like no i want to be chaste so that i can love Mm. yeah and always with love as the end loving the other person and so wh- where self-restraint comes in is that I need to restrain my own selfishness. I need to restrain my own impulses th- through the Holy Spirit, not just because I have this great willpower, but allowing the Holy Spirit to to guide my heart, to guide my actions so that I can love. Mm. Yeah, I I think that's so true, especially because like, if you look at all of the other virtues, I mean, love is the ultimate end, but we never sit down. And we're like, I'm going to be super prudent today or like, <laughs> or like not often. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I, and I, and I just wonder if that has a lot to do with 
our our history as Americans, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. like, founded upon a Puritan viewpoint, you know, a Puritan um, spirituality that has still been completely part of our society, even if it's, if we see it from the, like, the opposite side of the same coin. Yeah. You know, that... Um, I mean, Christopher West talks about this a lot. I'm I'm not sure how, you know, how, how you feel about Christopher West's approach to talking about relationships, but something that really resonates with me um, from what he's talked about is like this sense of on the one side, thinking that anything to do with sensuality and, you know, attractions, like that that's bad. Yeah. Or... <laughs> and, and like bad and to be like pushed aside and like to be ignored and repressed you know cast out exactly yeah repressed or then on the other hand it's almost like the same thing but just from the opposite viewpoint is like oh all those things are so are so bad and let's revel in it mm-hmm. um, and so i i really believe that that there's another way and and that way is this beautifully full expression of love that's it's gonna include a range of emotion a range of experience including heartache but then certainly just like triumph and sweetness and resurrection Hmm, yeah and i think well um I don't know if you've ever heard or read Brene Brown or anything, but yes, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. One one thing she really talks about is like you can't feel the good emotions as much if you're always trying to suppress the bad emotions. Ah, uh, yeah. In fact, I just wrote my 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 newest song is called "I Can Feel More," mm. and um, I'm just releasing it on YouTube now. And one of the lines I I borrowed from a friend of mine who would say this repeatedly, and he'd say, if you numb yourself to the pain, then you numb yourself to the happiness. Oh, yeah. And 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 that seems to be um maybe what you're getting at and what Brene Brown has expressed. Like if we spend so much time like trying to to ward off any bad feelings, well then guess what? Like we're automatically warding off the happiness and the joy that that's connected necessarily with that pain. Yeah. And that kind of leads to this other point. So, cause I know you talk in the book about, especially when you were, I think it was high school was sort of struggling with this idea of like, I want to flirt and I want kind oh, okay. of to be desirable, but I don't want to <laughs> cause lust or get anybody in trouble. <laughs> and I, I love your all stories of how you were trying to flirt with each other. because uh, They were just like so relatable. And, and it's just so funny, though, to see like, how as humans, we just keep trying to reach out sometimes and the message is just like <laughs> not getting across and then you feel bad about it. Um, <laughs> but so over the years, especially now after you've been married and everything, like have you gained any insights into how to show interest in flirt without like leading someone to sin? Yeah. Oh, man. It's... um 
That's so complex. And I can, even as you describe that and as you talk about back in high school, I I feel like I can still feel some of those emotions of like, uh, (laughs) like you want, I want to have attention, but I don't want to be driven by the need for attention. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And because it's like, what am I really seeking in this moment? But then at the same time, if you never express interest, like you'll never have a relationship I mean or I mean like maybe never say never like somebody needs to say something at some point so okay actually when I was younger I remember I looked up the dictionary definition of the word flirt (laughs) and because I just want to like see what's going on and um check check my heart you know and the the definition that I found that that stuck with me was to behave more amorously than one feels So, so this was the idea of like, I thought of it as a high school student, like, okay, so flirting means I'm acting like I'm really interested in this person and I'm not actually. And that was like a really actually good check for me. Am I putting on an attitude Am I touching this person's shoulder? Am I laughing extra loud? Am I flipping my hair? And all these, all these sort of signs of attraction. Am I like feigning that for some reason, even when I don't feel that way? Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, I didn't, I didn't want to be described as a flirt, even though, even though my personality is like I'm really outgoing and. I realized like, no, like if I really am interested in someone, if I really am excited to be around them, then I'm not going to pretend I'm not. And so that was that was a really important point of of growing up for me at that whenever that kind of started to become clear. I think it was toward the end of high school that showing my true affection for someone is proper is of course like i mean within like prudence mm-hmm. right um not just only acting on my impulses but but to try to really express myself honestly and integrating that with how with the real the real relationship that i have or that is forming um that that's a good thing that that's not that that's i wouldn't categorize that as flirting Um, but I definitely had times in my life where I was putting on more affection than I felt just to kind of get a response out of someone. Mm, Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess it kind of goes back to like, are you trying to manipulate the situation at all? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember sometimes just flirting with guys because I was bored. Yeah. I mean, like... And it was definitely a power trip. I remember thinking, like, can I get this person to be really excited about me if I want? Which is so bad, like, to say that out loud, because I think about, you know, like, hashtag me too, and how often we've heard stories over the last couple of years of of women being used of women being objectified and how like heart-wrenching it is and at the same time it's like been really triumphant for me to 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 hear women just like speaking so boldly mm-hmm. about those experiences calling them for what they are but i wonder when it will be our turn as women to say like hey i'm responsible like i have been responsible in many instances for using men 
for for using my feminine power over men to just control the situation or get what I want or or direct attention um, by by force, really. And that's something that I can say I have done in the past mm-hmm. and something that I just realized I didn't want to. I didn't want that to be part of my character as a woman. Yeah, we uh, did a podcast episode last year called Anger and the Revenge Dress, where Laura and I both talked Ooh. about these dresses that both of us had that we we both like, as so- it's the kind of dress that as soon as you buy it, you're like, this is a revenge dress that you like wear to the party uh, where you know the guy is going to be that's like yeah. rejected you or that you're trying to like <laughs> get back at you know yeah not my proudest mm-hmm. moment for sure but it's yeah there's something right there that you know you have that power mm-hmm. and then at this at the same time though i think it's okay to like if you are on a date to let that authenticity and you know uh, yes the power is not bad <laughs> <laughs> the, the the power that we have as women is a gift that god gave us but what are we going to use it for that's the question like how am yeah. i using my this power context right i mean just like you could say yeah. a man has tremendous power over a woman like and of course this 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 is a huge conversation i think but <laughs> If, if you look at, just, just to make it very, very simplistic right now, if you look at the physical strength of a man, generally speaking, um, his physical strength compared to a woman is typically um, much, like very dominant, mm-hmm. right? But I would say, um, and I wonder what you what your thoughts would be on this. I haven't ever like just talked about this like in an interview <laughs> setting at all but just with just close friends so i'm feeling so close um but well, i feel like i know you because like, i just I listen to your voice and you're like whole life story so. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> but i i really do believe that the the emotional pull that a woman has over a man's heart is dominant mm. and generally speaking and and that that is a power that she has, and it certainly is connected with her body, with her physical expression, and and so just as a man is able to use his physical strength for good or for dominance, and really you could say evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we as women can use our influence for tremendous good or tremendous evil. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I guess to sum up, it really comes down to figuring out what your motivation is and what's the right context and like, what are you really trying to get at? Well, I would take it a step further. I mean, I think that you're right, but I, I, I mean, because you're you're talking openly about like Jesus in this podcast, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. And like, <laughs> I want to go there. Like, I, I think it's more than just what is my motivation, but a step further is to say, like, what is 
God calling me to do with this power? What is God calling me to do with the feelings he's given me and the influence that he's given me and the, this, this fire, fire cracker of attraction that's happening right now. Like not just what do I want or what, what is driving me, but like, is that the Lord and what is he calling me to do with this? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point for sure. Hey, thanks. We're getting deep now. This is deep stuff. This is really good. Yeah. Yeah, no, we definitely like I think should always be measuring ourselves against an objective, you know, like uh a bit objective broader picture of what uh, God is doing in our lives and what his will is for sure. Yeah, and I, I mean, I it's something that's keeps coming up uh in my life, but then I hope it plays out in in my book is this sense that God's will is specific for me. And I know mm, there are yeah. different ways of thinking about that. And maybe some people prefer to think of it as as a broader picture. Um but to me it's just so like romantic in the truest sense of exciting and mysterious and beautiful to think that God really cares about each moment, about each word that I say, about each place mm-hmm. that I go, and certainly about each heart that I love, um, that he has a specific call in that moment, and that he knows better than I, that he knows better than I, how that love can grow and and flourish. Hmm. Yeah, that that's so beautiful and that really leads me to what I want another question I want to ask you which was you talked about love versus infatuation. Mm. Uh, and like sort of authentic friendship. Mhm. Uh and its role in that. So, can you elaborate just a little bit more on the those distinctions and mm. like how so like would you say now looking back that you were infatuated that's a good question you know somebody actually wrote on social media she said something about thanks for sharing about your infatuation (laughs) with this person through your book i'm like no 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 no." but i mean maybe she's right to a certain extent that but i I it's, it's hard for me to say that i was infatuated with you know, Matt, the kid in the red visor, you know, but I, what I prefer is to think about like love and responsibility, Karo Atiwa, um, Mm -hmm. when he, when he talks about the raw material of love. And I think that this is my personal opinion is that infatuation is to take that raw material of love and to stay at that point rather than allowing the raw material to grow into something substantial. So that's really vague right now, but let me try to make it a little more specific. (laughs) So when I, as a kid met Matt, and was really like drawn to him, his personality. He made me laugh. And then like 
The next time we see each other, he like had hit puberty and he was tall and like super physically attractive to me. Okay, that could have stayed at the level of infatuation, but it didn't. Like that spark between us helped lead us to really get to know the other person so that we we could grow in love. And I th- I think that's that's the difference of is it infatuation going to be your <laughs> your idea of who this person is or can it grow mm, yeah. into like an honest acceptance of who that person actually is yeah i think that was sort of my thought too you express it really beautifully that i think infatuation has some element mm-hmm. of fantasy like that might not be necessarily entirely based on yeah. reality or may- maybe like re- you you have some reality in it and then you like add a lot yeah. of your own ideas I, mean, I i think that that the the fantasy part or maybe the fanciful part of just meeting someone or f- kind of falling in love or having those initial exciting feelings fluttering in your heart like that is crucial to actually having the deeper relationship because when you can picture what it might become then you have this motivation to to find out so i wouldn't say that that's bad maybe it's maybe it's shallow but like how can you ever dive into mm-hmm. deep waters without first getting through the shallow that sh- those, those shallow waters i've heard before i remember when i was younger hearing this christian comedian talking about how glad he is that he doesn't feel about his wife how he first felt <laughs> when like they started dating or even when they first got married he's like can you imagine how inconvenient it would be if i'm like walking down the stairs with my coffee cup and my my wife walks in i'm like oh honey and i like spill the coffee over myself because i'm like nervous that she's in the room again (laughs) (laughs) and like i i i think that those feelings that we could classify as infatuation continue to be present um but then there's so much more in addition to that so then as you mm. grow in a relationship with someone, whether it becomes a, a robust friendship or whether like David and I, you, you're married almost 10 years and have a bunch of kids, you know, <laughs> that the initial stages of the relationship are always going to be um, a potential like source of joy throughout your relationship. Hmm. How do you think that we can handle infatuation if it's like going off mm, mm-hmm, track? Mm-hmm. You know, cause I've definitely experienced the like going to crazy town, <laughs> like off the rails. <laughs> so I, I'm just curious it's kind of if fun, you have right? any thoughts on like... <laughs> I can't eat, I can't sleep. Um, <laughs> well, something I mentioned in my book was... Uh, a teaching that I heard called the philosophy of friendship. And it was uh, this lecture discourse that was 
<laughs> burned on these CDs. It was like, I don't know, six CDs set or something like that. Um, <laughs> and this Austrian priest was suggesting to a group of college students that they spend time face to face with the person they're infatuated with. He said, now, like, let yourself cool down. Like, don't don't walk into this situation if you have no self-control. He said, but but once you're at a place where you are. <laughs> where you have that sense of self-control, why don't you spend time with the person who you feel like you're infatuated with you because you know what happens then is you can see this person as a real person, not just the image that you have in your mind of what he or she's probably like, but, but the real flesh and blood person sitting in front of you. And that was such a great practical tip. And made well a big difference in my book as your readers can find out if they read it um mm -hmm. yeah. yeah we, we won't give everything, give everything away, away. <laughs> but i would say <laughs> even now like for instance um I, I try to apply this with social media as an example i when I find myself, like I click on somebody's post and then I go to their profile and I and I find myself like looking at several photos of this person. I mm -hmm. try to make that into an actual interaction with the person. Like I send them a message and say, hey, I was just looking at your your pictures and I wanted to say <laughs> hi. Or if it's like, you know, like a friend, like, hey, it's been so long. Just wanted to reach out was thinking about you today or if it's somebody you haven't really met but you know like somebody who like you happen to be connected with somehow on social media just to reach yeah. out and to to make that that interaction more personal and and then certainly if that can can play out like in real life where you can actually sit down with someone and spend time with that person i i just think it it cuts through the temptation to stay only on a surface level appreciation of the other. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a good tip. But I guess you also have to be open to seeing the red flags and sort of being honest with yourself too, especially if it's a romantic. Well, obviously we're okay, talking about so, a situation. Yeah, yeah keep but, going with that. So can you, can you say more about it? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just kind of thinking things through mm -hmm. um, and like kind of looking back on my life like, oh, how could I have handled that differently? Mm -hmm. um, because there were definitely situations that like I would see them a lot, but mm -hmm. I was looking at every interaction through rose colored glasses and kind of mm -hmm. seeing what I wanted to see. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. definitely um, I have to own up to not really addressing things when I could have and like letting it go on for a long mm -hmm. time, you know. So I just mm -hmm. I think probably it's not just spending time with them, but being honest with yourself about what you're seeing. Mm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. OK, yeah, because there's a difference between <laughs> spending time in someone's presence <laughs> and mm -hmm. really communicating honestly with that person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's and I and I am glad that you're drawing that distinction because I'm definitely talking about the latter of making the concerted effort to know more about who that person really is. And I I yeah, I don't have advice about how that would look specifically it i think it's kind of not just who that person is but kind of like where they are on their journey and what's going on with them you know yeah i mean i think this this reminds me of something that you said earlier about like what did you say like people are, did you say fifteen thousand steps ahead <laughs> we get fifteen thousand <laughs> steps ahead of ourselves <laughs> there are a lot of steps there's in something with the 15 and a lot of zeros so you know yeah. I, I actually this this helped me a lot right before david and i started dating I, I heard this priest who said like because of the sort of expedient nature of our culture we sometimes apply how things work in a technological field to our human interactions and and then it, it doesn't work oh, and he said yeah. he's like yeah. you know why can't i figure out this math problem the calculator figures it out in less than a second or like why aren't my relationships all falling into place when the microwave heats up my food in 20 seconds <laughs> like and he said that the, he'll he'll meet yeah. like a young couple this guy and this girl, they come up to him. They're like, um, father, we're just wondering, we're just thinking about like if we should get married or not. And he says, well, why don't you go on a date? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And honestly, a friend of mine was just starting a new dating relationship. And she was she was talking to me about like, OK, then what would happen like if we got married and like and all of these like big, big life questions. And I was laughing at her as a good friend does. And I said, like, girl, like, <laughs> why don't you go on a date? You know, like there's a lot that, that's going to happen. Between now and the time that you are potentially walking down the aisle and you don't, you're not able to discern that on your own. You, you, there's no way you can get yeah. have peace about that. She's like, I just can't figure it out. I'm like, you're not supposed to be able to figure it out on your own. This is a two, <laughs> this is a two way thing. Yeah, that's so true. That's one thing that I feel like um, has been popping up in my life lately that I get so impatient, but continuously, I feel like God is teaching me about the importance of the process itself. Mm -hmm. Like, and it doesn't matter, like it could be a creative project I'm working on or a relationship or, you know, really anything, but it's like, there is an, an importance in the journey itself. Like there's a reason why God just doesn't give uh. us stuff instantaneously. Sometimes it doesn't make sense because i'm like well i'm ready to be hired to write a yeah. screenplay now like uh, in my opinion can everyone else please get the picture yeah but but like especially because like i write scripts and stuff and um and like as much as i would love to just i mean i don't know if you experience this in your writing songs or your book but like as much as i would love to like have just a complete first draft like as soon as I sit down the first time mm -hmm. that I write like there I've discovered there actually is value in like having to sit with it and you know like because you'll be thinking about it then you'll meet someone that tells mm -hmm. you a story that relates to it and then you're like oh I see it in a different oh, way now yeah. and there's something I can add to it and 
you know, all of that takes time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's sort of similar with relationships and, and, but with online dating, especially it just makes it like Mm -hmm. turbo speed. Like it's because especially you find out some information about the person depends on what Mm -hmm. app you're on, but like a lot of apps you find out information on their profile that you wouldn't necessarily find out if you were meeting in real life until like four or five (laughs) dates in the future. Yeah. And so then you're like, well, I don't know. I could go on a date with this guy, but like he's originally from <laughs> New York and like I could never move back there. And, or, you know, or like whatever. Or like, well, you know, he doesn't like the Dodgers and like I'm a Dodger or whatever. Oh, like yeah. just stupid things. Oh, yeah. And it's like, well, that's not really supposed to be right. But you know, part of the process I, until I later. I think that we can my guess is that you can see it playing out and so vividly online but i think that people have been doing that for a long time (laughs) like before dating apps because i remember a friend of mine oh man she um she didn't like life teen for some reason i don't know that's probably a whole thing but she didn't like life teen and this guy who was talking to her he did And she was like, no, no, it's not going to work. And like, I just remember shaking my head and thinking like, I think it's about more than life teen. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's something else. Yeah, there's a a deeper issue there. But I think that, so whether it's something that you come across online or something that's a comment that somebody just happens to drop, that there is a temptation to just decide like, oh, I know how this is going to unfold right now. I can tell mm-hmm. you. And that's something that my spiritual director has really helped me with because I, I do relate with what you're saying, like um, uh, maybe getting ahead of the process. Uh, and my spiritual director said, so when you're trying to discern whether a door is open, do not look down there at the door and assume that it either is closed or open. She goes, don't look down there and say, no, I'm sure that door is closed and then go the opposite way. She said, no, keep following until you find out definitely the door is closed and then you can go another way. And that's, man, that helps me all the time. I mean, in artistic projects, in, um, in my family life, in, in friendships, to, to realize, like, if I decide that the door is closed, that's that's not a, an accurate assessment of reality. <laughs> right. It's just your interpretation. Mm-hmm. And often that comes from fear, too, mm-hmm. that we see a closed door, but it's really just us wanting to believe that we won't have to be called to uh, do something that we're right afraid of. that I hope so much that the door is open, that thinking about it being closed is heart-wrenching. So I'd rather just, yeah. I'd rather spare myself the pain of finding out and I'll just say, I'm sure it's close. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like not studying for a test. Yeah. <laughs> so that the grade won't disappoint you. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they call that self-sabotage. But really, I mean, it's a temptation, right? Because if, if, if the Lord, and he is, is calling us to live life to the fullest, to, I've come to give you life 
and life in abundance, then then the evil one is is trying to get us to live a life without abundance. And so if if I don't want to give the Lord the opportunity to thrill me, the opportunity to lead me through disappointments to get to the other side um, and experience the deeper glory, then I'm going to be missing out on some elements of abundance that God has in store for me. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's deep. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Talking about closed doors then, like you all had a very extended romance, but like one of, or like a sort of will they, won't they scenario, (laughs) I guess. Yeah. But part of the reason why it seems so extended was because like Matt by the end was like, what? (laughs) 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 He like had no clue. But it made me wonder like, how much of it was him seeing that door is closed because he didn't want to, like he was too afraid of it being open or. So your question reminds me of some feedback that we received from a reader. And she actually, I think, I can't remember. She gave us maybe one star, maybe two. I feel like it was a one star review. And, and her assessment was basically like, this is not a special story. Like these are just two people who had misunderstandings and then went on to live their separate lives and they weren't all that broken up about it because clearly Amanda went on to get married right away. Father Matt became a priest at a young age and they're both happy in their lives. Okay. And I took that as such a compliment because that's exactly the that's exactly our point. This is not a special story. Like it's not a unique story. It's a story that we hope that other people can relate with. Just like the mm-hmm. the average sort of everyday occurrence of of trying to express care for someone, of trying to figure out what the other person is feeling and trying to express back. And yet, and yet within that, the reason why we were inspired to write about this, the reason why I'm inspired to to talk to you about it tonight is, is because we're really looking and asking where was Jesus in that? And, and Mm. so, so father Matt talks about his obliviousness as a gift from God. Like, for me, when I would think about Matt when I was younger, the more I would pray about it, the more I would run into this invisible wall in my heart that was like this the hand of God, like compelling me not to move forward, not to speak up about my feelings, not to reach out to him specifically about about mm-hmm. like a relationship and he on the other hand was just oblivious <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. and yet 
we could describe that as poor communication. We could describe it as, you know, missed cues and missed opportunities. But the beautiful, inspired, I want to say artistic way that I've been called to think about this story is that God allowed all of that to to keep us from a different kind of relationship, the kind of relationship that he wasn't calling us into with each other. Yeah, that's really interesting because like as I was listening to your book, part of me did think like, well, a lot of this could have been avoided. It sounds like if they had been honest with each other Mm. from earlier on. But then I did hear you describing this invisible wall that like, because you do seem like the kind of person that isn't afraid to to say what you mm-hmm. need to say. Mm-hmm. Um, because like there are examples in the book of you being bold and mm-hmm. um especially with guys. But uh yeah, like I it's interesting how like, yeah, looking back with my like like super outside observer perspective. I can see like, well, if they had just talked, had this conversation at this point, Mm -hmm. like, you know, but God had like a much more complex and interesting tale, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I believe so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I really, I, and I, and I really do believe that for, for those who read our book, um, they could look at their own lives and ask similar questions like what was i just was i just oblivious or was i just scared or was i just you know just these emotions that we go through um or was god working through my obliviousness was god working through mm-hmm. that hesitancy that i felt in my heart that it wasn't you know only a passing emotion but it was something that the Lord allowed me to feel for a reason. And, mm. and to me, it's been just so beautiful to meet the Lord in my heart in that way over the years. And then to look back and to see how much fruit that God has brought, how much the love that he's allowed to flourish in my life when I've heeded that voice in my heart, whether it's the times when he says, do not speak, you know, this like, it's not an an audible voice, but this, Mm -hmm. just this sense that it's not time to speak up. Or then on the other hand, now looking at this book, like I'm holding it in my hands. I'm just like, who does this? Who says this? (laughs) What am I doing? But but the same kind of force that I felt that said do not before is now saying speak up, keep going. <laughs> so it's like oh, cool. uh, as much as the door was closed before, it is open now. Oh, nice. And that's really cool that you can identify the Holy Spirit's voice and all that. It's all these crazy emotions and you know, fears and everything. Mm. It's through it. It's through the crazy emotions and the fears. I mean, oh, yeah. it's it's not in spite of my weakness that 
the Lord speaks to me. It's through my weakness. That's a, yeah, that's an awesome point. Um, and so I guess looking, when you look back, it sounds like you don't have any regrets, but like, is there anything that you would have done differently when you look at your story? Oh yeah. I mean, I have sort of tears that are springing to my eyes immediately. Um, oh, and it really, there's this scene, uh, in the book where I go to confession and I've, you know, apologized to Matt about this and I, um, and I would, and I'm, I'm, I've been kind of looking for a way just to apologize to like men, (laughs) but I, (laughs) I absolutely regret any time in my life that I have used anyone else for, for my own sense of control or power, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah. And there were instances when Matt was a kid, when I, I was trying to figure out the best way to relate, but I, I just fell into the habit of, of like using his attention for my own sense of self-worth or self-importance. And you know, that was something that I sought for which I sought God's forgiveness and, and, and sin. There, there are always bad consequences for sin. Um, now, <laughs> there, God's love is even bigger than any of the bad consequences. Um, I, should, I shouldn't say bad consequences. There are always consequences for sin. And yet mm-hmm. God can, can and does redeem those consequences. So do I like, wish I could go back and undo what anything? No. But at the same time, I I am sorry for for any of those moments that I acted, you know, in selfishness. Yeah. And thank you for being open about that though cuz I think I mean it definitely led me to reflect. It was something that I related to and and looking back I was I you know, it led me to sort of reevaluate some situations too where I was like, "Oh yeah, well, I was being really selfish then." Mm. And that's, that's really helpful. So hopefully other people can have that experience too. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, it's, it's, um, that's, that's so much of our Catholic faith, right? Is admitting when we've been wrong, admitting how we could do better. And it's, it's so freeing because it's like, it's so hopeful to realize like, oh, that wasn't my best. I could do better, you know? Yeah. Like that's, that's exciting to realize. Well, and also to realize that like God is in it with us. And so it's like, yeah, we're going to fail, but like God can give us the grace to, to actually do better. And, but it's like, if we were thinking about us just doing it on our own, like, yeah, that's kind of depressing. Like, cause it feels sometimes like it's impossible, but Right. Yes, it has to be in light of God's grace. You know, there's this line in the exalted, you know, that prayer that like the deacon mm. chants at the um at the Easter Vigil Mass. And um I think in the new Roman Missal translation, it's the the words are tweaked a little, but as 
I learned it growing up. It's um, oh happy faults, oh, yeah. oh necessary sin of a- of Adam that gained for us so great a redeemer, and I, and that's that's how I look back, even on my faults and failings, even though there's a sense of regret there. Mm. Oh, happy faults. Like to, to that's like audacious to say that, but, but somehow God's grace is that big to take even our sins and turn them into something. Can I dare say beautiful, through yeah through his forgiveness and redemption yeah totally man i'm fired up now man well (laughs) man so we've covered a lot of ground but (laughs) is there is there anything additional that we haven't talked about that you hope people will take away from the book you're right we covered a lot (laughs) oh i would say there's a picture of my family at the very end um, so there's um, David and our four kids and me. And then there's also a picture. I, I got to choose these photos because it was at the very end of book production and we like just needed to get the book printed. So I, I picked them out. So I think it's hilarious that for my bio, um, there's a picture of me with my family. And then for Father Matt's bio, there's a picture of him, but I'm also in the picture. <laughs> And he didn't really like notice that, I think, until some uh, others pointed it out. And I love to kind of go back to it. I'm like, look at your biography. You look so nice there with your best friend. Look, look. And he's just like rolls his eyes. So that's something to check out for sure. Awesome. Um, And so (laughs) um, where is it that people can find your book or find more about you i know you said you have a youtube channel yeah yeah so so people can find the book in various formats we have paperback we have audiobook um which you mentioned that you listen to an ebook and they can just go to when god wrecks your romance.com and so then we have like a book trailer and a couple of other videos just explaining some background on the story and is the book out now yeah, yeah. So okay. people can get a paperback copy. They can um, listen to it, say, if they're in an airport or wherever they're. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, just for all of With our caution. listeners, this. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to this audiobook in the airport coming back from the Catholic Media Conference. And normally I'm super anxious about being at the airport on time catching my flight like it's one of my like most dreaded things to think about missing a flight but I got so into this audiobook that I missed a flight for the first time in my entire life (laughs) (laughs) and luckily it ended up being totally fine like I caught a plane 20 minutes later but I was like I can't believe I did that (laughs) <laughs> but that just sort of speaks to how compelling like I got so into the story uh, <laughs> that, that it made me miss see, my point yes I do I do recommend caution there's um a friend uh, a friend of mine she said that she was listening to the audiobook and she's like the thing is I know you I know how the story's gonna end but I was still into this and I guess she had recently had surgery like on her ankle and she she was supposed to be taking it easy but she goes I just kept doing 
like chores around the house as I listen to this book. <laughs> when I go to see the doctor, he's like, what have you been doing? She goes, I was listening to an audiobook. She goes, he stares at me. She's like, it was, it was a really good book, okay? <laughs> Yeah, because there's there's something that's just so compelling about the truth and just like the vulnerability and like even if you know the how the story ends and to me like I mean obviously I love observing relationships too and like you know figuring out the human mind and like the way love works so just like observing all the little like things that were going on in a relationship and your conversations and yeah it was just <laughs> super and super interesting opportunity <laughs> well i'm glad to be able to offer that to you and to your listeners and and yeah and i do have my own <laughs> youtube channel as well and i i have a couple of different shows i have word for the week where i explain my experience of mass that weekend and then like what words stood out to me and what I think the Lord is calling me to do about it that week. And then I'm also just starting a new segment called Amanda Vernon Unplugged, where I just sit in my little home studio and play an acoustic song. So people can just look up my music, Amanda Vernon Music, just anywhere, and they can find it. Okay, cool. And I'll definitely um, put those links in the show notes for everyone. Uh, well, thank you so much for having this incredibly insightful and deep conversation. <laughs> hey, thank you. I, I really felt like I was able to see this book and like the writing process in a new light through through speaking with you. And I think that's really a sign of your just like insight into into relationships and like especially like the piece about my dad. I didn't realize like 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 his <laughs> like kind of his view of relationships how much that specifically influenced the the approach that I took in this book and and so that means a lot to me personally to to come to that understanding so thank you for your thoughtfulness and for the opportunity to talk with you not only about this book but I think about a lot of subjects that I thought of before and hadn't really had the chance to 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 go into like in a public format like this so thanks for for the opportunity well awesome i'm so happy that uh you talked to us today and shared about your story and um yeah this was super fun definitely Thank you for listening to our podcast. This has been another episode of Fishers of Men. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or find us on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men. Follow us on Twitter at at LA Gone Fishing or on Instagram at Fishers of Men Podcast. There is an underscore after each word. Please also remember to rate and make comments on iTunes if you feel so inclined. It's really important so that other people can discover our podcast. I'm Larson Mary Sams. I'm Mary Asher Burton. Until next time, keep swimming.